Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. And yet the story of Esther is, it's not just about Esther. And the story of, and of Esther is not just about Mordecai. The story of Esther, believe it or not, is about God. It's about God. And I don't care if the term, his name is not mentioned in here. You can see, you can read between the lines to see that God is in control, man. He is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. And he knows how to take care of his people. He knows how to take care of his people. When was the last time you truly felt taken care of? We all have people in our life who are there for us, but have you ever had all of your needs truly taken care of by someone? Today, Pastor James wants you to know that God is sovereign over all of the earth, and He wants to take care of you. In every biblical instance when His people are in need, God is always there in the perfect timing. If you want to experience true love and feel secure in the arms of someone who will never leave you, follow Jesus and be saved. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Esther chapter 9 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. You're Christ's follower with the gospel. Go out and tell people about the gospel. And wouldn't it be awesome if the people that you're sharing with or the people that are watching your lives say, you know what? I think I want to follow Christ. I think I want to be a Christian. They probably would do that more if we celebrated more. Christians are too much of the, you know, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge type, right? The bah humbug people of the world. Bah humbug. We don't do that. We don't like that. We don't like that. We don't like that. It's like, Do you like anybody? Do you like doing anything? Do you like celebrating? Aren't you you on the winning side? Why don't we act like it? Maybe more people would be attracted to this thing if we just actually celebrated a little bit more. I'm not saying we, you know, just ignore life's difficulties and all that good stuff. Not at all. But I think you understand what I'm talking about. We are connected to Jesus. We win. He won. We win. Eternity, new heaven, new earth, every single reason to celebrate, every single reason to be joyful, to be glad. And as we're dropped in this little world for such a time as this, surrounded by people who may not have hope, do they identify with us as people who should have all the hope in the world, but yet we walk around as hopeless ones? Or do they see something in us that's like, I want what you have. I want what you have. That was the greatest witness for me. I shared this with you guys before. Nobody ever shared the gospel with me. Nobody ever shared the gospel with me when I was unsaved. Not verbally, but they certainly did live it out. And I was around kids my age in a youth group where they were just so weird and so different. But their weirdness and their difference was the fact that they were joyful, and they had hope, and they had peace, and they actually, like, loved. And I was so opposite of that. And I, was, I remember just, I'm an observer. That's who I am. And so a whole year, I only had a year, basically, church experience, I'll say, a little bit as a kid. 
but voluntarily, only about a year of church experience. And I just watched people. I just watched them. But I watched them live out this witness, and I watched them display these traits and these things, these characteristics that I was like, I want what you have. What they had was Jesus. What I was missing was Jesus. That was the greatest witness for me. So I can, I can speak on behalf of maybe some of those who are closely connected to you, who are not Christ followers. They're watching you. You don't have to live a perfect life, and please don't pretend to live a perfect life, because then you'll be a hypocrite, okay? You don't have it all together. Your life, it's, the, sun's, the sun's not going to shine every single day in your life, right? We know that. If, if you're going through a difficult time, you go through a difficult time, but you can still have joy in the midst of the trials and the storms, right? People who are on the outside are looking at you to see, like, is this thing real? Is this thing real? I was one of those people. And what, what won me over was, man, this thing is real. Because I watched them go through hard times. I watched some of my friends go through difficult times where it's like, if that happened to me, man, I, I, just, I don't know what I would have done. But somehow they had joy that surpassed their circumstances. People are watching. And, and what's cool about this story is even the people within Persia, even if they all, all weren't Persians, so to speak, but they were watching the Jews in the midst of a very, very crazy storm that they found themselves in. And the Jews are celebrating. They're rejoicing. They got banquets and and holidays, and they're just celebrating. And the people are watching are like, I want to be in on that. I want some of that. And who wouldn't want that? Chapter 9. Consequently, on the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, the king's edict and his law drew near to be carried out. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. So even though there's a new law, the enemy is still looking to fulfill the old law, okay? That's, that's something to be aware of as a Christian, okay? Even though there may, there's the law and all that good stuff, and listen, you're still going to battle. The fight is not over, right? We ultimately have won, so to speak, but there's still battles to be fought. And the enemy is, is prepared. It says they, they hope to overpower them. But contrary to the expe- their expectations or to the expectations of the Jews gained an upper hand over those who hated them, the Jews assembled in their city throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus in order to lay hands on those seeking their harm. I like that term, lay hands, right? Like you think of it as like praying. I think of it as like laying hands. Like when we talked about laying hands on people growing up, it was, it was always with fist. Um, I didn't know anything about laying hands on people praying. Um, so I think this one is more of like the laying hands on like how I grew up with, with fist. Um, so they, they are gaining the upper hand on these. <clears throat> it says, no one was able to stand against them. For fear of them had fallen on all the peoples, even all the administrators of the provinces, the governors, uh, the officers, the governors, and those doing business for the king helped the Jews. For the dread of Mordecai, fascinating, huh? The dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Mordecai was, a pro- was prominent at the palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. The man Mordecai was growing ever more powerful. That's awesome. That's awesome. We've watched this journey of Mordecai. 
you know, where he got like, you know, his first government position and all that good stuff. And then it seemed like he was getting promoted. He was sitting at the the gates, uh, the city gates, and then he gets promoted into Haman's position. But here, this is a good testimony of just a godly man. And men, be godly. Hey, men, be men. Be godly men. Stand up. When times are difficult, I, who was the one person who stood up was Mordecai. When the, when the law went out and death was pronounced on all the people, on all the Jews, the one who stood up was Mordecai. <clears throat> he convinced Esther to be bold and to be courageous, and she did that. And we, Esther is amazing. She's an amazing woman of God. Absolutely. What she did was completely brave and admirable. But you have to give credit to Mordecai for being this Jewish man who stood up when nobody else was standing up. And that's another good application point for, for us men within the church. Men, be men of God. Be bold. Be courageous. Stand when nobody's standing. Stand when nobody's standing. Stand for the gospel. Be fighters of the faith. We, we can't pass that off to the women anymore. Ladies, you're amazing. You're awesome. The sad reality of church is more ladies show up to church than guys do. And that's, I love that, but I also, that's troublesome. That's troublesome. That's troublesome for families. I like when we, when we go through these stories and it's like, man, there's a hero of the faith and her name is Esther. But there's also a hero of the faith and his name is Mordecai. And isn't it cool that God can use an Esther and a Mordecai side by side to fight, for, to fight for his people? We need more Esthers. We need more Mordecais in the church. It's just true. We live in days like this. And there were, there were thousands of Jews that lived in Persia. And only one Jewish man stood up for what was right. And because of that, the one Jewish lady stood up alongside him, and they, they, did, they did the, unspeak, the unspeakable. I mean, they faced death on behalf of their people. I love that. I love that about this story. It's just incredible. Like, hopefully that kind of pumps you up a little bit to where it's like, yes, be brave. Be brave. What's the worst that could happen to you? The worst that could possibly happen to you is that you die. But that's the best thing that could possibly happen to you. And I know that's weird to say. I don't want any of you to die, okay? But I'm saying for as Christians, we have to take a step back from this self-idolization that is a big problem in our country. We are so afraid of dying. We want to hold on to our lives. And I get it. I don't want to die. I get it. I understand that. But man, when that gets in the way of being bold and courageous for the gospel, that's a problem. It's a problem. So I'm not saying be foolish and go out there and pick a fight not saying that at all, but I am saying people are dying and eternity is on the line. We got to make, we got to figure out what's important to us. My eternity's set. I know where I'm going. I know what happens next for me. I shouldn't have to worry about that. So now my, my heart should be for other people who don't know where they're going, right? I love that. Just Mordecai, he's growing. I mean, he's, the reason why he's growing, it's kind of like Joseph. The reason why he's being promoted and his fame, so, so to speak, is expanding is because he is faithfully devoted to God. And that's it. 
Verse five, the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did whatever they wished to those who had hated them. All right, don't follow that model. We don't need to kill anybody. Um, praise God, those days are, those days are done. Um, I think, I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, just, yeah, share the gospel. Um, not the sword, share the gospel, okay? Right now, right? Um, it says, in the citadel uh, at Shushan, the, Jewish, uh, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 people. It's a, isn't it amazing that there are still 500 people who are like, yeah, I think I'm going to kill the Jews, right? And they're like, wait, what? He just gave them permission to fight back. And they're like, yeah, I still kind of want to kill them, though. So you're like, you're nuts. But we know who they're connected to. Some of them, anyways. Um, uh, Perishandatha, this is going to be brutal. Um, I'm not worried about these guys being in heaven and correcting me, though, so it's cool. Um, Adelia, Eridatha, uh, Par- Parmashta, uh, Erisai, Eridai, <clears throat> this was the, heart, the one that was tripping me up last night, uh, Vizatha, I think that's how you say it, the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, uh, the enemy of the Jews. They slew them, but they did not lay their hands on their plunder. They had the right to. It was written in the law. They could kill them, and then they could take whatever they wanted. But the Jews were like, we're better than our enemies. The enemy's plan was to kill, steal, destroy, annihilate, basically. The Jews are like, we'll, we'll fight for ourselves. We will absolutely defend ourselves, but we don't need your stuff. We're not going to take your stuff. That's, that's, an, that's an impressive thing here. Verse 11 says, on that day, the number of those that were killed in the citadel of Shushan was brought to the king's attention. Then the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in the citadel of Shushan, including Haman's 10 sons. What have they done in the rest, uh, in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, or, um, well, so that's the question he asked. We'll, we'll get an update on that in a second. Uh, what, now, what is your request? It shall be granted to you. What other peti- petition do you have? It shall be done. Verse 13, Esther says, if it please the king, let the Jews in Shushan be allowed to carry out today's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's sons be hanged on the gallows. They're dead, but let's stick them up on the poles, maybe as a good lesson, right? Like, don't mess with the Jews. I don't know. Um, But those same, same kind of gallows that their dad died on, they would now be hung on as well. The king command, uh, commanded that this be done. A decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's 10 sons. The Jews in Shushan gathered together on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Shushan. There's still more. They still wanted to fight, but they did not put their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces gathered together to protect themselves and to get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of their enemies. That's crazy. Again, I'm thinking like, man, did, did we're not get around to what was happening in the capital? Like, don't mess with the Jews. Don't mess with them. 75,000 of these guys are like, yeah, I think we could take them. I think we could take them. Okay. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Verse 17, this happened the 13th day of Adar, and on the 14th day, they rested, making it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were in uh, Shushan had assembled on the 13th and on the 14th and on the 15th they rested, making it a day of feasting and gladness. That is why the rural Jews, the country Jews, right, Uh, those living in unwalled villages make the 14th day of the month of Adar a day of gladness and feasting, 
a day of sending presents of food to one another. What a cool holiday. Why do we not celebrate this more often, right? You're like, okay, I mean, it's an amazing. You get to get, get together with friends and family. You get to eat food. We were like, yeah, we do that. Christmas, Thanksgiving. Yeah, but here's the other thing. You also give gifts to the poor and to the needy. It's kind of an outreach holiday. It's not an in-reach. Christmas is in-reach, right? It's all about like, I get some stuff, I give some stuff to my family and all that, but it kind of stays within the family. Uh, Purim is more of an outreach kind of focused holiday. Hey, send some presents to your friends. Send some food to your friends, right? Like give them some Grubhub or whatever. Send them, send them a meal. Take care of, you see somebody who's poor or needy or whatever, hook them up. Take care of them. It's, it, this is an amazing holiday. I think this is, this is one that we should put on our calendars on a regular basis. Why not? Um, anyways, so this is what they're doing. They're celebrating. And here's the description of Purim, this last little bit here. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the province of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, urging them to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of Adar every year as the days when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into celebration. That sounds a lot like what happened to us when we got saved. That sounds like every day in my life, when I wake up and roll out of bed, I don't always have sorrow, but if I do, isn't it amazing that our sorrow can be turned into joy, that our mourning can be turned into celebration because of Jesus? It's amazing. This is the coolest thing. I mean, he's, they're, they're make, this is like, like the new celebration, the new, like, this isn't like law for them to celebrate, right? This is kind of an optional one, so to speak, Passover. They, they're required to celebrate it. Purim, they're not required to, but why wouldn't you want to celebrate it when you think of all that entails it and the reasons behind it? So Mordecai's sending out this letter to all the Jews encouraging them to, to, to celebrate these, you know, what the Lord has done. It says these were to be a day of feasting, celebration, sending presents of food to one another and giving gifts to the poor. That's Purim. That's what it's about. So the Jews agreed to continue the, uh, uh, where I lost my spot. So commemoration they had begun, sorry, and to do what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, Agagite, uh, the enemy of all the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and, to, and had cast the Pur, right? Remember Pur? That's the uh, lots there. That is the lot to ruin and destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he issued a written edict that the wicked scheme of Haman that he, Haman had devised against the Jews should come back on his own head, Right? And, and the king might be issuing these things and all that stuff, but please know that the, the way that the dice ended up was because God is in control. He gave him a year. He gave him a year. It's beautiful how the Lord can control the dice. And, and remember, I encourage you, probably don't go to the casinos and play the craps table, okay? Um, and you be like, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you with these dice. He, yeah, I don't, I mean, if you're hoping for 7-Eleven, you're going to get snake eyes, okay? I'm just saying, it might be a good lesson in humility or dependence on God. Um, who knows, maybe he'll help you win. I don't know, but I just think that, thankful that he controlled these, these dice on this day, right? So I don't care what Ahasuerus or Xerxes is, he may think he's in control, but he's not in control. He's not in control, Okay. 
God is in control. This is that he, you know, written this, that it all go back onto Haman's head, and it did, that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows, and they were. For this reason, these days were called Purim, from the word pur. Uh, therefore, because everything in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the, the Jews established and took upon themselves, upon their descendants, upon all who had joined with them, that they would commemorate these two days in the way prescribed. And at the appointed time every year, these days should be remembered and observed by every generation, by every family, and in every province and every city. These days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor their remembrance perish from their descendants. Remember what God did. Remember what God did. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of uh, Abihel, and also Mordecai, the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter of Purim. He sent letters to all the Jews in 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with the words of shalom and truth, peace and truth, peace and truth. To establish these days of Purim at their designated times, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and just as they had established for themselves and their descendants, matters regarding their times of fasting and limitations. Esther's command confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it, is writ- and it was written into the records. Last little bit, all of chapter 10, it's like three verses, um, it says, now King Azurus imposed a tribute upon the entire land, even to the coastlands of the sea. All the acts of his power and might, along with the full account of the greatness of Mordecai and the story of how the king promoted him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia? Meaning this, you can, you can document this story in extra biblical resources. You can find that this story is actually historically accurate and true. You're like, I don't know if the Bible is... Well, the Bible is accurate and true, but if you need some more confirmation concerning maybe just Purim or the story of Esther and Mordecai, well, you can find that in Persian Persian history. They documented it. You can look it up even today. You can find that, yeah, this this is real. This actually happened. It says, for Mordecai, the Jew, verse 3, was uh, second only to King Ahasuerus, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by the multitude of his people. He sought their good and spoke for the welfare of his descendants. Here's a faithful man serving God, never wavered, never wavered in his faith, in his devotion to God. And God, God honored that. He, he blessed this guy tremendously. And yet, the story of Esther is, it's not just about Esther. And the story of, and of Esther is not just about Mordecai. The story of Esther, believe it or not, is about God. It's about God. And I don't care if the term, his name, is not mentioned in here. You can see, you can read between the lines to see that God is in control, man. He is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. And he knows how to take care of his people. He knows how to take care of his people. And if you don't believe that, read Revelation. Read what happens to the Jews. In the end of it all, are they not preserved and taken care of by God? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You and I have the opportunity to be taken care of by God, our, who's, who is our Father, our Heavenly Father. He takes care of His kids. He takes care of those who belong to Him. And it may seem as though it's like, you're, you're waiting till the last moment, Lord, because, you know, there's a whole year... There was a whole year when the the lots were cast, and it seems like this is pretty last minute. 
that this new law is written. He's like, no, it's written at the right time. We've all heard the famous words that Mordecai spoke to Esther when he was encouraging her to talk to the king. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's a great rallying cry. And all of us long for those moments in time when we're right where we need to be to change the world. But don't forget, Esther was in the kingdom for many years before that time. God placed her there ahead of time, and she was right where she needed to be in that exact moment. When you look at your life and wonder if you're in the right place, remember that God placed Esther ahead of time. She didn't know for years why she was there. God has placed you in the exact place that He needs you to be for a future purpose that you can't even imagine yet. Don't let the day-to-day get you down. He's always working. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is going through the book of Esther in this series, and you won't want to miss a message. Mordecai was there to encourage and empower Esther, and we're here to do the same for you in your walk with Christ. You can find today's message and many others on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that website is breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, check out how you can donate to Bread for the Broken and join us in spreading the good news. Our desire is that our listeners would find hope and new life in Jesus. We hope that that's what you found today and that we'll get to see you again next time here on Bread for the Broken.